Tonight on the Virtual Bible Study, we want to talk about unity. We're going to talk about the, the something very important that we probably don't talk about enough, and that is the important business of of unity among the followers of Christ. God has mandated it for us, and we need to be pursuing it. We're instructed to do that, and we're going to talk about that on the Virtual Bible Study, and we're going to get started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, September 2nd, 2021. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you. Glad to be with you. Kyle's behind the controls. Kyle, welcome to the program. Good. It's good to be here. Can you keep us on the air tonight? Yeah, hope so. Uh, I have a hiccup. All right. Well, we, we should. Hopefully, we, we've we got some uh, new service uh, and supposed to be faster and more efficient than what we had before. So we're hoping that we got a, a good connection to the Internet. We've had some problems in, re, in the last month or six weeks dropping out, and we're hoping that's going to be corrected. All right. Uh, we uh, look forward to hearing from you tonight. Uh, part of that uh, upgrade uh, means no telephones tonight. Right now, we don't have telephone uh, we're in a switch-over mode, and it's going to take a few days to get that finished. So we can't take a call tonight. All right, but we can take your emails, questions at collegeview.com, or in the chat window. Join in and share your comments with other listeners. Uh, Jacob, right. just a little bit of uh, uh, we need an update. Last week we mentioned that uh, South Franklin Church was having a special series of lessons. Tell us how that went in Franklin. Well, we had a good, uh, good turnout, good lessons from uh, Josh McKibben. And uh, they are posted online. If you go to FranklinBibleStudy.com, you can find the link. So you can get, you can watch the archive yep. at Franklin Bible Study, all one word, FranklinBibleStudy.com. Yep. All right. Yeah. Good. Check them out. And, and and I was there, and you had good attendance yeah, and, and a lot of community visitors. We did. Yeah. Uh, and that's what we're striving for is to try to make new contacts and spread the gospel. And it seemed like it was quite successful. It was great. Yeah, it was wonderful. All right. All right. So we're going to talk about unity, and uh, I found a blog, uh, and in our update today, I, I gave the link to the the blog post that that we're going to be kind of using as the basis of our discussion today. Uh, a fellow named Tim Chalice. I'm not sure I'm saying that right. C H A L L I E S Chalice, and his his website is www.chalies.com, C-H-A-L-L-I-E-S, chalies.com. And he had an article, which caught my attention, and and again, it made me kind of realize, Jacob, that we probably haven't emphasized often enough the importance of unity among the followers of Christ. And so he had a blog post, 12 Ways to Preserve Christian Unity, and uh, I thought we'd just review his 12 ideas. I think what we're going to find out is that some of the ideas are quite sound and, and should be pursued aggressively. There's there's some of them, though, that probably suggest some ideas that we would think 
are not so good. So we'll just work our way through the 12 points that this man made. One of the uh, red flags would be here is I see verses to support two of the 12. Uh, the others, uh, well, we'll have to see if they correspond with what the Bible says or they're just human wisdom. Yeah. All right, so let's just dive right in. We sent this out, by the way. We sent this link to this blog, and we sent the 12 main points from the blog to our update list earlier today. Uh, if you're not getting our updates, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com and say, add me to the list, and we will do that. So the first, the first point that this man makes is spend more time considering evidences of grace in other Christians than you do pondering their sins and weaknesses. He goes on to explain, you as a Christian probably have a much greater ability to see weaknesses in other believers than to see strength. Uh, It is as if you use a magnifying glass when looking for weakness and a telescope when looking for grace. Well, you know, that may be a fair observation. I, I, I think I would be inclined to agree with the idea that we, unfortunately, are pretty quick uh, on finding fault, but not so quick on commending what is good. And and that uh, I don't think we should ignore what's wrong, but we should certainly commend what's good. So to to that extent that we should be looking for the good things and the and the spiritual strengths manifested in people's lives and and commend them for doing that. I think that's a fair observation. I know we've been studying uh, some of the epistles of Paul, and it's very impressive how often Paul made the effort, by inspiration, of course, but made the effort to commend the people that he worked with. Yeah. And and we can do that, and we should do that, and we should look for opportunities to do that. But the problem with this, the way it's stated in this blog is as though it's almost either or. Uh, either you're going to pick out weaknesses or you're going to commend strengths and it's like you have to choose which way you're going to go it's not either or uh certainly we should commend good things in people but we can't ignore sins that that are in people's lives either so that would be my quibble with the way that this initial point is made The, the, the suggestion is it's either or and i don't think it is it's it's it necessarily is going to be both pondering sin and commending strength yeah i think i maybe the 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 encouragement here is to not focus on uh looking for uh problems uh which problems in our brothers lives are easier to see than problems in our own many times well that's true but the uh, again problems in our lives or in the lives of others can't be ignored well they can't be ignored so yeah. and 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 that's what I'm afraid might be suggested here the way this is worded. That's what Dwight says, and out in uh, this is Dwight and Michelle out in uh, in Iowa tonight, and uh, they've changed their sign in tonight uh, to get uh, get more airtime for Michelle. It's Good. Michelle and Dwight in the chat room tonight, which uh, Dwight gives her most of the credit for some of these comments anyway. So uh, here we go. I think it's a good practice to look for the good in people, but at the same time, their good won't get them to heaven if they have sin in their lives. A healthy balance is both is a, a healthy balance of both is important for unity. Unity cannot come at all costs, though. No matter what, we must obey God rather than men. I think that's really well said, and and I think that's true. And and the idea of unity at at all cost is a mistake. We, we cannot we cannot sacrifice other essential things 
just to have unity. We should strive for unity. In fact, just recently I said we were studying the epistles of Paul. And and last night in our Bible study from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We should work at it. No, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. We should work at it, uh, but not at all costs. It is not uh, something that is done at all costs. Mohan in Chicago, Illinois, says, it is, while it is true we should appreciate the positives in others, sin is very serious and cannot be overlooked. The Bible says to admonish, rebuke, and exhort. Yep. I think that's right. Can't overlook sin. And then Kent says, grace is important, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. However, God's grace is conditional based upon our obedience to God. Grace is never an excuse for sin, First John 2, 1 through 4. Good, good. Thank so you. I think all of us agree. Now, I think there's something that we can take away from that. I I, I do think uh, that most of us as Christians need to work harder at seeing good things in in our fellow Christians that deserve our praise and commendation. You know, a pat on the back once in a while is a real boost, and and it doesn't cost us anything to give that pat on the back, so we ought to do it. Okay. All right. Number two. All right, number two. Uh, the second point was consider that spiritual safety comes through spiritual unity. He goes on to explain Christians united together are difficult to separate, difficult to break, difficult to pick off and destroy. It's when you isolate yourself by disrupting or denying unity that you are most at risk. I, I think that that, I, I, first, again, I think there's, truth in the statement that there is strength we have an expression strength in numbers i think god understood that i believe that's why he designed the concept of local congregations so that we have a a body of believers to assemble with to draw strength from one another so i to, to that extent i think that that is 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 a true observation if we if but the unity has to be the kind of unity that Jesus prayed for in John chapter 17. We often reference this prayer of Jesus. It was prayed just before he was arrested, taken, and crucified. And in John 17, verse 20, he, he had been praying for the apostles specifically, but he broadens that. He says in John 17, verse 20, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And so the kind of unity Jesus wanted us to have is is a unity like unto the unity that exists between the Father and the Son. That's not some kind of crazy unity and diversity. You believe one thing, I believe another. We'll just say we agree. Jesus and the Father, perfectly harmonious and in ultimate unity and that's what jesus wanted among our followers if we had that in the religious world today we it would be a powerful thing right notice jesus said that 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 kind of unity the kind he prayed for would cause the that he says that the world may believe that thou hast sent me we'd be able to we'd 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 take the world over with christianity if if all who called themselves by the name of Christ, were united. There's great strength in that kind of unity. We don't have that kind of unity uh, in the religious world today. Right, right. And it's of utmost importance, and it's uh, it's a command that we be unified. It's Jesus' desire that we be unified. 
And there is spiritual safety when there's spiritual unity. Dwight and Michelle uh, said uh, this would be good as long as spiritual unity is in accordance with God's truth. If the unity is just to have peace, even if sin exists, then spiritual safety is not there. Well, that's by default it wouldn't be if there's sin there. Good point. Uh, Mohan said, Mohan uh, passed on that one. Uh, Kent said, it is true that spiritual unity promotes safety. However, the only type of unity that God accepts is unity based upon truth. Unity based upon diversity is false, whereas unity based upon truth is the only type of spiritual safety. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Yeah. Okay. Good. I think that's exactly right. And so, again, unity, really, really important, but it has to be legitimate unity. You know, to draw a comparison, we ought to be united on principles of mathematics. So you say 2 plus 2 is 4. I say 2 plus 2 is 5. I kind of like what I kind of like that. You you seem to like what you Let's just go with it. You do it your way, I'll do it my way. That would never work. I mean, uh, all, everything would break down if we couldn't agree on simple mathematics. We couldn't do commerce, retail sales. Everything would come to a screeching halt because nobody could agree about what the numbers say. There's got to be unanimity uh, on mathematics. And we're saying that's what we need religiously, too. There's many, the strength. Many in the religious world today have come up with a oxymoronic term that they call unity in diversity. That is, uh, that is an oxymoron, that you can't have unity in diversity, because what Jesus prayed for is that we have unity on the principles of God's word. We would be unified in perfectly like he and uh, the Father are. Yep. Uh, so that's the kind of unity... God defines as he wants for our for us. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. Let's get a break. When we get back, where are we going? When we get back, we're going to talk about loving one another the way God, uh, or excuse me, uh, we're ready for three. We're ready for three. Meditate on God's many commands that we love one another. All right. We'll get to that. Uh, don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Here's a quick thought. Cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. 1 Peter 5, verse 7. The Apostle tells you to cast all your anxieties on God. Talk about burdens lifted. What an amazing thought. The creator of all that is or was or ever will be cares about you. So cast your anxieties on him. Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Fall seven times, stand up eight. Though a good motive cannot sanction a bad action, a bad motive will always corrupt a good action. It takes a great deal of character strength to apologize quickly when you're in the wrong. One of the sanest, surest, and most generous joys of life comes from being happy over the good fortune of others. Man, wish I'd said that. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the program tonight as we look at ways to preserve unity, a blog, and we're comparing that with what the scriptures say. So far, we found some things in harmony here, some things maybe we want to be on guard against that may not line up with the Scriptures. 
Going on number three. All right, number three says, uh, meditate on God's many commands demanding that we love one another. When you feel your heart begin to turn against another Christian, this is the time to turn to the many commands to love one another. Uh, and then he gives a, a number, here he gave a number of scripture references, John 15, 12, Romans 13, 8, Hebrews 13, 1, 1 John 4, 7, 1 Peter 1, 22, and so on. So, allow, he says, allow God's word to convict you of love's necessity. Well, again, you can't, you can't argue with the principle of loving your brother. Absolutely necessary. We're reminded of the famous words of Jesus in John chapter 13. He said in verse 34, John 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. So Jesus said actually a sign of discipleship would be the love that we have for one another as Christians. And so that's a very important thing. And it would tend toward greater unity among followers if we had the right kind of love for one another. Well, First Peter 4, verse 8 says that, Above all things, have fervent charity or fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Love for one another would cause me to uh, deal with those sins and those uh, things that might cause a rift in uh, the unity. Love would cause me to uh, handle those situations in the way that I should. Peter says it's of utmost importance. Yeah. John said, 1 John 4, verse 20, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this is the commandment that we have from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. So that cannot be overemphasized. The importance of loving our brother cannot be overemphasized. But here's the thing. Loving my brother means that if I see him in spiritual peril, if I see him engaged in sinful activity, love would necessitate that I go to him and address that, not just sweep it under the rug or look the other direction. Uh, and so, you know, again, maybe I'm maybe I'm trying to read too much into this blogger's uh, comments, but I'm afraid the suggestion is that we just love each other and. And that's all that matters. Love is the test of all things. And if we love one another, you know, we won't say anything about the faults of one another. That definitely is a danger. But there also is a danger uh, or an angle of this that we need to look at. If I have the love for my brother that I should, I'm not going to allow petty things or or personalities or judgments uh, to get in the way of uh, of my unity. That's true. And how often have we known of churches that had trouble? You know, sometimes you hear about a church splitting. And and when you when you hear about what the issues were, you think, "Really? Honestly? They divided about that." And so again, now you're right about that. Sometimes petty issues result in division that should have never happened if brethren had love for one another. Right. So it's, it's, again, it's a balancing act. There's two sides to that coin. Right. Sometimes love will demand that we address sinful issues. But other times love would say, overlook these petty, non-sinful things that so often divide us. Yeah, sure. Uh, and some of those things are just personality differences. Well, yeah, I don't really, you know, he and he and I would probably not be, you know, golfing buddies or she and I would probably not uh, want to go out for lunch 
but if I have the love for that person as I should, then I'm going to overlook some of those personality differences to try and come up with some way that I can encourage that person. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. Let's see what we got here on our emailers. All right. Uh, Dwight, or Mich- Dwight and Michelle say, to preserve Christian unity through demanding we love one another is forcing people to do something versus teaching them how to do it. Hebrews 10:24 tells us to consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. So I, I think the idea there is that, that uh, Dwight and Michelle are suggesting is that maybe that there's talking about a kind of forced love that's not the kind of love that's taught in the Bible. That may be true. But Hebrews 10.24 does say we need to be provoking this uh, this love for each other. Mohan says, number three is good. We can show love through benevolence and helping others with their spiritual problems. Amen to that, Mohan. And then Kent says, loving one another the way that God would have us to practice love is indeed important, just like all of God's divine requirements. Biblical love does not include compromise with others when others, even our own brethren in Christ, Engage in what is sinful, Ephesians five eleven through thirteen. Certainly, so there's two sides to look at this. We do uh, we can't overlook love. We can't overlook the command to provoke one another to love. We can't uh, overlook our command to love others. But we cannot allow that love to cause us to overlook problems, sweep problems under the rug, and not deal with sin. That's the opposite of love. If we see someone in sin, and we don't try to assist in that. Yeah. Quickly, let's move to number four. The blogger says, to preserve Christian unity, spend more time considering areas of agreement than disagreement. The doctrines you share with other true believers are the foundational doctrines. The ones you do not share are necessarily less central to the faith. Acknowledging that you and those with whom you disagree will spend eternity together should encourage you to not allow peripheral doctrines to separate you here on earth. Now, I got a problem. I got a a bigger problem with the way this is worded than I have these, the previous ones. Because uh, the, 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 the blogger suggests that there are foundational doctrines and then there are peripheral doctrines. Uh, who gets to decide that? Right. You know, who gets to be the arbiter of, oh, oh, now we got to agree about that. That's a foundational doctrine. No, that, uh, that's, that's just kind of a side, peripheral issues, not all that important. Who gets to make that determination? Uh, if, if it is... The doctrine of Christ, if it's taught in the word, word of God, Paul said to the Ephesian elders in, in Acts chapter 20 that he, he taught the whole counsel of God. I don't think we get to pick and choose which we think are the, the foundational. You know, if we, can, if we can agree on the foundational things, then we can overlook differences on the peripheral things. That's not our prerogative. Okay. All right. What do our emailers say? Uh, Dwight says this is a good start, although if there are disagreements on the scriptures, these need to be discussed to become more unified. Otherwise, we're not as the Lord would have us to be. Appreciate that, Dwight and Michelle. And uh, Mohan says areas of disagreement need to be resolved through the word. I think that's an important point that Mohan made, because the idea is we'll just overlook it unless it is this sort of core beliefs, the foundational doctrines. If it's anything else, we'll just overlook that. And we don't get to do that. That's, that's not right. Uh, Kent says we do need to realize areas of agreement. The basis of agreement is found upon God's revealed truth in his word, John seventeen seventeen. It is just as important that we identify areas of disagreement. Resolving such areas must be brought about uh, the acceptance of God's truth and walking in such truth, John 8, verse 32. Okay. All right. Uh, All right. Okay. 
Number five. All right, let's grab one more before we get to a break. Number five, consider your peaceful God, he says. God is the God of peace. Christ is the Prince of peace. And the Spirit is the Spirit of peace. Having made peace with God, having bowed before Christ, having been indwelled by the Spirit, whose fruit is love, joy, peace, you now have the ability and ought to have the desire to be at true, deep, and lasting peace with other Christians. Well, certainly, uh, God, God has done amazing things so that we can be at peace with Him. There's, there's, there's no doubt about that. Uh, he desires a peaceful, relationship with with mankind and 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 that is his nature that we we agree and and we should as peter said in second peter 1 verse 4 we should strive to be partakers of the divine nature we we should try to be more like god and god god has done amazing things to bring about peace but that's not all there is to god well we ought to do amazing things to bring about peace too yeah jesus uh, said you ought to forgive your brother 70 times seven you need to forgive like God forgives you. It's true, and and and, and God is certainly that that's that's an aspect of God's nature that's to, uh, we should emphasize. But God is also a consuming fire. The Hebrew writers says. Right. So you know you're not getting the full picture of God if you just you know the, the, the suggestion to just think of God as a God of peace. You know, maybe uh, God is sort of like a doting grandfather. You know, he just loves us so much, and he just we can we can do no wrong in his sight. No, God is a God of justice and judgment as well. He's a God of peace, but he's a God of justice and judgment too. Don't don't paint a picture of God that leaves out. I mean, important attributes of God. The the, what God has done for peace is incredible and amazing, but that's not the full picture of God. Right, but uh, let's look at what Dwight and Michelle said. Being because being God, being God is a peaceful God. He wants us to be at peace with each other. Romans twelve eighteen says, "If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men." Philippians four six through nine says, "Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God." And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So uh, Dwight focused on this idea that, yeah, God's a peaceful God, and he wants us to be at peace with others. And as much as, as possible, we need to be at peace with each other. Yeah, but again, you can't be. God won't overlook things that would sever that peace. But God's not. God's not going to be the cause of us not being at peace with Him. As is often the case, Kent and I are on the same page here. Kent says God is the God of peace. However, God is also the God of justice and judgment. Romans two verses five through nine. Right. I honestly did not read his answer before I made my comment, but it's a, it is so often the case that Kent and I come out at the same place on those kind of yeah. things. Right. Uh, but yeah. God, God's love and mercy and grace, uh, His eternal plan to accomplish our salvation, amazing, incredible, and He wants to be at peace with us. He wants us to be at peace with Him, and and He has done overwhelming things to make that possible. But it can't. Again, it can't be. 
peace at all costs. God is going to judge those who do not obey his will. And if we're not at peace with God, it's not going to be God's fault. Right. And if our brethren aren't going to be at peace with us, we need to make sure it's not our fault. Right. So we need to be like God in that way. Okay. Good. Okay. Let's get a bullet point, And when we get back, we'll go to number six. Number six is what I don't understand. You guys can be thinking about this. Renew in your mind and heart what it means to be at peace with God. We'll talk about that when we come back. I'm not sure what that means. Well, some folks, I think, have an idea because they okay. responded to the question. Maybe okay. we'll see what they said. Uh, don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. My name is Jim Meisner. I worship at the Church of Christ in Deckerville, Michigan. Be sure to listen to the virtual Bible study and watch it. This is Greg Wynn with this week's bullet point. When Potiphar's wife tempted Joseph to commit fornication, he resisted her lascivious advances by expressing, first, his commitment to God, and second, his loyalty to his earthly master. Joseph's example of deep devotion to God is often noted, and rightfully so, but his loyalty to his master is also worthy of our imitation. It seems that loyalty has largely become a lost virtue. We see signs that people lack this necessary trait in many areas. For instance, this lack of loyalty is seen in family breakdowns where mates violate their marriage vows and when parents fail to nurture and protect their children. We also see disloyalty in regards to people's jobs, our nation, one's friends, and so forth. But we are especially concerned to see a lack of loyalty on the part of Christians. In particular, we sense this failure as it applies to our relationships in the local congregation. Yes, our primary devotion is to God, but there should also be a fidelity to our brothers and sisters in in our spiritual family. Too many are ready to up and leave over the slightest upset or disagreement. Others will abandon even long-standing associations on a whim. This ought not to be. Do problems arise in local church fellowships? Of course they do. Will we have to deal with these issues and conflicts from time to time? Certainly we will. But our loyalty to those we love in the local congregation should provide plenty of motivation to work through even the most difficult troubles. It's hard to imagine Christians of the first century walking out on each other over some petty things, the kind of things that sometimes separate brethren today. Can you picture them acting like some modern church members do? What would they say about us? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over, and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. And we welcome you back to the virtual Bible study tonight. Remind you, this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more at thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. And Kyle can help you out with uh, seeing what's going on at the College View Church of Christ. Yeah, yeah. Always got some good Bible studies, and we have some. There's some in the playlist, and we're starting. Well, we've yeah. Always got some good studies on Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings, and of course our. Services on Sunday morning, so all all kinds of good things to accent your Bible study. So that's right, and uh, and Kyle makes it look easy, makes it look good. All right, uh, we're talking about preserving Christian unity tonight. So we're looking at this blog uh, written by a fellow named Tim Chalice. I'm sure I'm not saying that right. C H A L L I E S Chalice, and his and his website is www.chalice.com, C-H-A-L-L-I-E-S. And he had this post, 12 Ways to Preserve Christian Unity. We decided that it's a worthwhile thing for us to discuss unity. It's an important thing. Uh, uh, and so we're just kind of taking his 12 points and, and 
either agreeing or somewhat agreeing or disagreeing or somewhat disagreeing with what he has to say. Yeah, we, we found out there's maybe two ways to look at uh, some of these points. Yeah. Either one way. Yeah. And Michelle and Dwight are comment along those lines again about their two, two, two sides of this. God is a God of judgment as well. He wants all men to be saved, but he says in Matthew, the road is wide that leads to destruction. So there's two sides of that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we're at point number six. We'll have to hurry along here. We're going to run out of time pretty fast. Number six, renew in your mind and heart what it means to be at peace with God. Preach the gospel to yourself because as you consider who you are in the light of God's perfect goodness, holiness, and peace, God's perfect goodness, holiness, and peace, you must soften toward others. All right. So, again, I got... Maybe I'm just too negative here, Jacob, but I, I, I see a problem here is that if I consider who I am in light of God's perfection, then I will soften toward others. Well, certainly I'm not, I mean, we are all, and I, I would certainly acknowledge this and confess, we are flawed beings, we, we have our sins and failings, and so to the extent that I need forgiveness and I need people to extend merciful treatment toward me, then I should do that to others too. And so in, in, to that extent, I could, I could understand what the point is. But again, it could, it, it can't go, that can't go so far as to suggest that we would ignore or overlook sin in ourselves or in others. It, it, it can't be that. Yeah, your first point there, you're talking about, uh, that reminds me of Matthew 18, where you got this one servant who owed his master uh, more than he'd ever be able to pay. Yeah. It was forgiven, and then he went to his fellow man and would not forgive him of a, of a much smaller and in respect petty uh, amount. So that may be an angle you could take on this. Say, yeah. you know, if I, if I get up on my high horse and I don't realize that I've had struggles and and I've had to be forgiven, then it's going to be real hard for me to have pity on my brother when he transgresses against me. Yeah. Uh, so that would destroy unity. Uh, Dwight and Michelle say, if I'm at peace with God, I will be at peace with my brother, or at least trying to be. Romans fourteen nineteen says, therefore, let us pursue things which make for peace, things by, by which one may edify another. We ought to, I like that phrase. We ought to pursue things that make for peace. Again, it's a very important thing, and we ought to be striving for it. And again, realizing my own failings ought to make me more merciful and patient and long-suffering and forgiving with my brethren. And all of those are things that make for peace. And so that would be true. Sure. You know, I'm thinking maybe about some of the Pharisees there who... Uh, who uh, thought that they were righteous, Luke 18, verse 9. Uh, they trusted themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And so, yeah, if I, if I look at myself as I'm, I'm, the, I'm the model Christian and, and I'm sort of despising others, that's going to destroy peace. Uh, Kent says, um, it is true that the renewal of our minds will bring peace with God. However, only successful renewal of our mind must be based upon following the word of God and being Separated from the world, Romans 12, 1 through 5. Yeah. Thank you, Kent, for that. 
Quickly, moving on to number seven. Meditate on the unique relationship between Christians. Psalm 133.1 proclaims the goodness, how good and pleasant it is to dwell together in unity. There are some things in the world that are good, but not as pleasant. There are other things that are pleasant, but not as good. But to live in peace is both pleasant and good. Consider what it means to be bound together in God's family with fellow travelers who are on the same pilgrimage to the very same destination. You know, I, I, I think I, I can fully agree with it. It's wonderful when Christians dwell together in peace. Okay. Uh, and we do have a unique relationship. And we ought to cherish that relationship that exists between us and our fellow Christians. Obviously, in all the turmoil that exists in the world, this is a wonderful thing. Uh, and so, uh, I, I, w- without trying to read anything between the lines, I would say that that is a, would be a thing that would help generate peace if we meditate on the relationships we share with one another in Christ. All right. Uh, Dwight and Michelle uh, reference Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, teaches a, us a unique relationship in, between Christians by the way we treat each other. It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also on the interest of others. So there's that uh, that's there's that idea of thinking about what we need in the area of peace and how to accomplish it. Think about that. Yeah. Kent says we definitely need to meditate upon the unique relationship among Christians when those Christians, by their obedience to the Word of God, brings about a fellowship that is found in Christ. First John one three. This fellowship can be destroyed when sin is brought into the lives of God's people. First John one five and six. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And again, I, I, I think that's a really good point. I, of, of all that he has written so far, I, I think I would probably think that that's the strongest argument that he's made. We need to think about uh, the relationship that we enjoy with fellow Christians, uh, true, true, obedient believers. Uh, we are in a distinct minority in the world. Uh, we need to cherish the relationship that we have with one another. Uh, anything that threatens it, we ought to address that immediately, whether it's my sin or his sin or anybody, uh, because we want this relationship to be maintained. This is special. This is wonderful. I'm sure that I can speak for a lot of the people who are listening tonight. Our relationships with fellow Christians are many times stronger and and deeper and, and richer and more fulfilling than the relationships sometimes we have with our own blood kin who who don't share the same faith that we have this is special and we ought to we ought to appreciate it we ought to be grateful for it we ought to strive to maintain it because it's so special uh never take it for granted uh, uh, Think about this special relationship, and 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 a word that I'm going to, that was used in the uh, the bullet point loyalty. I want to be loyal to my brethren, uh, so loyal that I will do what it takes to maintain our relationship. Brian in California says my relationship or fellowship with Christians extends only to the extent of the boundaries of the Lord's kingdom, that is the Church of Christ. The concept of universal Christendom is theological but not scriptural, as I understand the arguments. Yeah, you can't be at peace, uh, Brian, or have unity with people who do not agree on the principles of God's Word. That's right. I mean, how can you be in unity with someone who says homosexuality is acceptable and someone else says it's not acceptable? How can you be at unity? Can you say, well, I'm just going to think about peace a lot and and the unique relationships that we have, and we're just going to disagree on... Well, we really don't... uh, You know, what I was saying 
should should be conditionalized by saying we we really don't have that relationship ship with people who are not true obedient believers uh and there's a lot of people who call themselves christians who are not true obedient believers right right you this unity and diversity idea that we just overlook all of our differences uh it, that that that's that's not unity that's not the unity that God, that christ prayed for in john 17 verse 21 yeah all right Real quickly, let's take the next one. Number eight, the blogger says, count the cost of disunity. When relationships break down, disagreements inevitably follow, and every disagreement between Christians is a triumph for Satan. If you descend into disunity, you hand Satan a victory, maintain peace, and deny him the triumph. Again, if you, if you don't try to read between the lines, uh, and there might be some, some implication there that you could pick up reading between the lines but i i like the statement that every time there's disunity between god's people that's a victory for for sure, satan sure. And, and we we ought to try to avoid that giving him the the win yeah there's sometimes when unity has to be broken or has to at least be threatened to be broken uh <clears throat> paul had to have some disunity with peter and there in galatians chapter 2 so there's going to be times when we we say, "Hey, listen, this can't go on." Yeah, he wrote to he wrote to the church at Corinth in First Corinthians chapter one, uh, and they were in bad shape. They, uh, in First Corinthians chapter one, uh, verse ten, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same things, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them that are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Uh, this I say, every one of you saith, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So there was a church that was in disunity. And and notice the, 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 the resolution of that was to be joined together uh, in the same mind and same judgment, right. not, not unity and diversity. Right, right. But it is a, it's a win for Satan. When folks don't uh, submit to God's will and they are not unified as a result. So I don't want to leave the misimpression that we're saying that this whole, the whole realm of Christendom, as, as Brian mentioned in his, in his chat, you know, we're not saying that we are all united under this huge umbrella we call ourselves after the name of Christ. The only unity, the only ones we can be united with are the ones who are faithfully doing the will of God. So, Take a take a an issue as an example. What about baptism for the remission of sins? The Bible teaches that one must be baptized for the remission of sins, Acts two thirty eight. I can't be united then with a person who denies that. A person who says, Well, you don't have to be baptized. You're saved when you believe, you don't have to ever be baptized. It'd be a good thing maybe to do, but you don't have to be. There can be no unity between us. We're, we're taking diametrically opposite positions on a, a point that will will affect the salvation of men's souls. We can't be united on that. Here's what uh, Kent said. He says, unity based upon truth is important, but God does not accept unity based upon error. Not all unity is scripturally right, and not all disunity is scripturally wrong. Good Romans point, 16, Kent. I like 17, that last 18. point. I like that last point a lot. You know, uh, it, and, and he references Romans chapter 16. Verse 17, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and 
offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. So if they're teaching error, false doctrine, then I'm to mark them and to avoid them. There would be disunity between us. Here's this guy who's teaching false doctrine, and so I mark him and I avoid him. We're not united. And yet God would be pleased that we took that stand against that false doctrine. Okay, all right. Uh, that's, but that's that's not at our discretion. That's the, the person who's left God and left the teachings of God's Word. They're the yeah. ones who caused the disunity. Yeah. Um, Dwight says, disunity is in direct conflict with God's instruction to be unified. We understand how important unity is through God's Word, and thus we need uh, to strive to work and strive towards it because we know the consequences of not being obedient to God. First Corinthians 1 verse 10 says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So, all right. We need uh, to be unified. All right. Oh, and Joanne's in the chat room. Good to hear from Joanne tonight. Joanne says, Paul says if someone in your group does something wrong, you should go to that person and gently correct them. Galatians chapter six verse one. Exactly, you Absolutely. can't overlook it. You got to you got to deal with it. And with the desire that we're going to go to it and try to try to resolve this issue, try to get someone to come back to the Lord and uh, and correct the error that's in their lives. Thank let's, you, Joanne, for that. Let's comment. take our last break. When we come back, we got to go real fast to the top of the hour. We got uh, just a few points left here on this blog about maintaining Christian unity. All right, we're going to go to the top of the hour. Stay tuned. We're back right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. Warning, this is to make you aware of a disorder plaguing American and the metro area, BDD, Bible Deficit Disorder. Many people are not getting enough Bible in their daily lives. Are you? Answer the following questions to see if you might be suffering from BDD. Do you answer spiritual questions by saying, I think, instead of, the Bible says? Do you depend on religious authors and pastors to tell you what to believe? When Benny Hinn says, this is your day for a miracle, do you believe him? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you might be suffering from BDD, Bible Deficit Disorder. The College View Church of Christ is dedicated to fighting BDD by teaching the Bible. We focus on Christ by following his word. Don't succumb to BDD, Bible Deficit Disorder, Fight it by joining us for Bible study on Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. As long as there is breath in your body, it is not too late to fight Bible deficit disorder. We'll see you this Sunday at the College View Church of Christ. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A new study found that 6 out of 10 Protestant churches are plateaued or declining in attendance, and more than half saw fewer than 10 people become new members in the past 12 months. Most have fewer than 100 people attending services each month. That's 57%. That includes 21% that average fewer than 50. Three out of five, 61% of churches, have faced a decline in worship attendance in the last three years. Almost half, 46%, report that giving decreased or stayed the same. That information is via Christianity Today. The Word of God says in Matthew 13, verse 15, For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the program. We're glad you're here going to the top of the hour talking about preserving Christian unity. It is a command that we be unified. We need to be preserving it. We need to be pursuing it. We're told over and over again that we need to be working at this. 
And so we're looking at what this blogger says, comparing it with what the scriptures teach. Yeah, but we've got to go quickly here. Number nine, be the first to seek peace and reconciliation. I'm just going to just take that point and say amen. Uh, you know, too often we have the idea that, well, listen, I, I, I'll, I'll, if he wants to come and talk to me, I'll listen to what he has to say. But I'm, I'm not going to him. He's going to have to. He's going to have to make the first move. Absolutely wrong. You know, uh, in Matthew five. Jesus said, if, if you know that your brother has aught against you, before you even try to worship, go work it out with him. Uh, it, it, and so, if I have, if I'm the one who has done the wrong, I need to be going to the one I wronged. Matthew 18, on the other hand, says that if I'm the one who's been wronged, I should go to the one who wrongs me. Either way, I should be the first one to seek reconciliation. That's an absolutely true point. All right. Uh, here's what our listeners said, Dwight. Psalms 133, verse 1. Says, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Also, Matthew five twenty three through twenty four says, leave your gift before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Uh, so he references here how uh, we need to be the one pursuing that peace. Um, and then Kent says, unity. See. The peace and reconciliation that we seek must be based on the New Testament authority of Christ. The only way such can be obtained oftentimes is attained by spiritual warfare and defeating that which is in error. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 19. All right, good. Okay. Quickly, number 10, walk and work together with other Christians as far as possible, making the word the only judge of your actions. Stop right there. I don't know what else he might. I'm not going to even try to deal with what else he may say here in the blog. But that is true. We've got to let the word be the only judge of the actions. It's the only way that we can be unified. And it's really the only basis. If we're playing from the same rule book. Yeah. You know, we can't even play a ball game if we can't agree with the rules. How can we serve the Lord Jesus Christ if we can't agree about the rules? The rules are in the Word of God. And so we we can walk and work together with other Christians when we agree upon the rules. But we got to agree upon the rules. Yeah, right. How many times has unity been broken because somebody wanted to bind their judgment or their opinion? Uh, they got away from the word and started binding their own think-sos, and that's a formula for disunity as soon as you do that. Kent says the word of God is our only standard of judgment. We must n- also draw righteous judgments based upon his exclusive standard, John seven twenty four. Mohan in Illinois agrees. Dwight and Michelle in Iowa say this is a true and wise statement. Okay. Quickly, moving on. Number 11. In order to preserve Christian unity, he says, judge yourself more than you judge others. All right. I, I might I might just say that slightly different, and I don't know if it would be a significant difference, but I would say judge yourself before you judge others. You know, that's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verse 3. You know, get the get the beam out of your eye before you try to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Yeah. You know, uh and and we should do that. But again, it'd be a it'd be a complete misuse of the statement of Jesus to suggest that I shouldn't be thinking about my brother, and I might have to judge him to be an error, and I might have to address that error. But I should make sure I got I, I need to get my ducks in a row first. Dwight and Michelle reference the same passage you referenced there in Matthew chapter seven, verse five. Hypocrite, first remove the blank out of, from your own eye, then you will see clearly they remove the speck out of your brother's eye. 
And Kent says, we must be equitable, fair, and just in making righteous judgments. Such necessitates judging ourselves and others upon an equal basis. Yeah, John seven twenty four, judge, righteous judgment. We're actually commanded to judge. While one must never exclude self from drawing proper judgments and or conclusions regarding the application of God's word, we must also include others in making righteous judgments concerning what the scriptures teach. John seven twenty four applies equally to all individuals. Okay. And then finally, point number 12, to, to uh, maintain Christian unity, pursue humility. I think it's a great point. Uh, and we are, uh, and I, I think pride is one of the big things that causes disunity. I get my pride up, and then somebody says something that makes me mad, and, buddy, we, we're ready to come to blows. No, be humble. First mm-hmm. Peter 5 uh Verse 5, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Okay. Got to be humble. And, and again, pride is a big roadblock to all relationships. You know, our marital relationship, our family relationship, we let our pride get up. Our, our relationships on the job, our relationships in the community, our relationships in the church. We let our pride get up. We're going to be in trouble. All right. Here's what uh, I think this one has to be Michelle's. It's a good comment. Humility is a just kidding. It's Dwight and Michelle here. Humility is a wonderful Christian characteristic. John four verse ten says, "Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up." Paul teaches us in Colossians three verses twelve through fifteen. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also must you do. Uh, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body, and be thankful. Humility is so critical in those ideas that Paul mentions there. We appreciate Dwight and Michelle out in Iowa for sending those comments in. And then Kent down in Georgia says we must pursue humility. Christ is our great example in demonstrating such. Thank you for that, Kent. Yeah. Um, good comments from our listeners tonight. Uh, and here's uh, Brian is out in California tonight. He says uh, he says Proverbs nine, six verse nineteen. Be wary of sowing discord. We know what God thinks about discord. Yeah, he hates it. He yeah. hates it. Be wary. Don't let it be. Don't let you be the one who's sowing the discord. And Joanne says, scratch any sin, and just below the surface, you will find pride. I think that's right. I think. I think. A root cause of the vast majority of problems we have is pride. Yeah. Yep. All right. Thank you for that, Joanne. Thank you, Brian. Um, good comments tonight. Uh, but, Kyle, n- no comments from you yet. Um, what, 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 what do you say? Which I have to, I agree with, that, Greg, about pride. I think pride is the cause of most of our issues with unity and disunity, the cause of discord in our own lives. It's just We have to make sure that we're putting ourselves aside selflessness has got to be that's that's not something you just do you don't wake up and just be like i'm gonna be selfless today yeah you know so you gotta like you gotta work it is a struggle every moment of your life like you gotta like so when someone comes at you like instead of just blowing open you're like i need to take take our time and it's every day it's a moment by moment you know i think you're exactly right thanks kyle see we was worth the wait for that comment tonight yeah, good study. Yeah, thanks for study. thanks for helping us get it out there tonight. Um, Dad, good discussion. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks for uh, for the time tonight. Thank you for joining us. I hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. 
You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.